0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: If you could open up to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The Song of Solomon. Solomon. Chapter 1. I know tonight we have some young people that aren't married. I know we have some people that are married that are here. I know some people that were married. I know some people that lost their loved ones. So the Song of Solomon has a message for all of us because the approach I'm going to take on it. It'll have some practical approaches for relationships on this earth. But the approach I'm going to take on it is going to be the relationship between us and our Lord. I don't know if you know this song. I told Pastor Paul that last song um, was awesome. I was just thinking about the and I've been doing in the Song of Solomon and just how appropriate that last song was. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet Lord. And I was uh, looking up a song that I used to, when I was first came to a Bible-believing church a long time ago, it was, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if it's the exact same one. But I looked up the lyrics and it says, I just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. When I first fell in love with Jesus, I gave him all my heart. And I thought I could not love him more than I did right at the start. But now I look back over the mountains and the valleys where I've been, and it makes me know I love him so much more than I did then. I just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Is that a experience that you're having in your walk with the Lord that you just keep falling in love with him over and over and over again and he just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter as you go through the circumstances in life. Hopefully the answer to that is yes but if not I think in the study of the Song of Solomon it might Enrich your perspective in your time with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I first attended a Bible-believing church that systematically studied the Bible word by word and verse by verse, my relationship grew day by day through good and bad times. And as I got older, I could look back and I could see The Lord's hand and his faithfulness in the good times and the bad times. When people died, when people got sick, uh, when things were going great, it didn't matter that you can see the Lord's hand as you continue to walk with him and mature with him. Also, when I first started in the Bible Believing Church, the description of Solomon was one of the... things describing him was he had a half heart towards God and David had a whole heart towards God and King Saul had no heart towards God and as I was preparing I'm saying well what will be said of you and me where is our heart no heart towards God half heart or a heart that's totally sold out and committed to him. That doesn't mean we don't fall. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. I mean, we know David's story, right? King David, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a liar. Yet he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's heart, own heart. He repented. He knew he was frail. He knew he was weak. He knew he was a sinner, saved by grace, just like each of us. I'm sure knows. Now Pastor Paul had just finished Ecclesiastes and a great study on that. And we see in Ecclesiastes Solomon was wandering all over the place. He tried to find nutrition for his soul, he tried to find peace in his heart, but all was vanity of vanities, no matter where he wandered. Everything was void, and he tried everything. Everything that could be tried, he tried. The wildest things of your imagination, he tried, whether they were good or sinful. He tried them, and he found that they were empty. There was nothing new under the sun. He tried it all. But however, once you find the king of kings, and he becomes your lord of lords, you enter and I enter into an intimate relationship with God himself. And hopefully that relationship is growing deeper and deeper throughout your journey with him. And if it's not, maybe this is a good checkpoint with the Song of Solomon. Some people teach it as a uh, human man and a human woman, their relationship, their love. Some people teach it as... The God, Jehovah God and Israel, the relationship between them. Then there's those who teach it from the angle of Jesus and his bride, the church. I think throughout this study that you'll see there's going to be things that come across all three of those. You get a glimpse of each of those. The Song of Songs Verse 1, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. As we know, Solomon was the offspring of Bathsheba and King David. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote the song of songs. In Isaiah 5.1, it says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. Now, the vineyard throughout Scripture can mean a few different things. We see the vineyard in parables. We see the vineyard just as what it is, a vineyard. But we also see the vineyard as your own life, your own heart. We also know the vineyard can be Israel. So, however the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through these verses could be different than he spoke to me. And a lot of... People, Spurgeon, uh, Moody. The Song of Solomon was their favorite book. These were fantastic preachers that have gone to be with the Lord. But they loved the Song of Solomon. It was their personal devotional book. They would spend time in the Song of Solomon, just the one-on-one time with the Lord. In 1 Kings 4.32... It says he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. This is in, regarding uh, Solomon. He had 3,000 proverbs. Pastor Paul went through the 31 that were given in the Bible. But he had 3,000 proverbs. Can you imagine? His songs were 1,005, but yet out of the 1,005 songs that Solomon penned, There's only one in the Scriptures. There's only one. And that's this one song, the Song of Solomon. All right, let's take a look. Verse uh, 1, I just read the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Now, in your Bible, you might have, before verse 2, the Shulamite. Now, the Shulamite is believed to be a young virgin from the southern part of Israel near the Sea of Galilee. And she was probably just a farm girl. And her, the Shulamite, somebody who comes from that area, the word Shulamite means peaceful. And it's interesting that Solomon's name means peace. Now, remember in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's wandering all over the place. He had no peace in his heart. He was trying everything to fill that void. And it's something here that Solomon, whose name means peace, and the Shulamite girl, whose name means peaceful, meet. Now, the thing is, I have a problem with Solomon. I don't know about you, but I got a problem. The dude had 700 wives. He had like 300 girls in his concubine. I got a problem with commitment there. You know, it, it, it's a problem. We see in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, being unfaithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Chasing after other gods. Was this girl that Solomon met, the first girl he met, was this his first love as we read this story? Could have been. We really don't know. We do know that Proverbs was written towards the middle of his life and Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life. But is this when Solomon was pure and just really uh, focused on the Lord? And he saw this young maiden, and he was attracted to her. Well, it's pretty neat that right away, I mean, you know, in a love story, usually towards the end of a chapter or maybe towards the middle of the book, towards the end of the book, it gets pretty intense. But they didn't waste any time here. In chapter 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Went right at the mouth, bang, smack wasn't a kiss on the neck. It wasn't a kiss on the hands. It was a kiss on the lips. And what does that speak of? Speaks of intimacy. Our God is a jealous God. He desires a deep relationship with each one of us. It's great when we collectively come together on a Wednesday or a Sunday or a home group. That's special. Because God tells us not to stop fellowshipping together. But he wants that intimate relationship with you one-on-one. And that's something that we have a privilege that we can nurture that, because he's looking for that from us all the time. Watchman Nee, who was uh, in jail, died in jail. He was in jail for over 20 years uh, because he was a born-again believer. He was a preacher of the gospel said no one can kiss two persons at the same time. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's pretty tough to do, especially if you're trying to kiss somebody on the lips. So this is a matter of personal significance. Moreover, this kind of kiss is not on the cheek like that of Judas Iscariot, nor is it a kiss upon the feet like that of Mary, but it is the kisses of his mouth which would express a most personal and intimate love. Isn't it neat to know that our God wants that personal and intimate time with us? Do we really understand that? How much he is in love with you individually? That if you were the only one, he would have come down from heaven to die just for you. To pay that price just for you because of that love. Think of that word kiss, you know. And in Genesis 33, 4, it says, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That was a kiss of reconciliation. In Psalm 2, verse 12, it says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. That is a kiss of of loyalty, of respect, of honor. In Luke fifteen twenty it says a kiss of uh, and he ro- arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That was the prodigal son, and that was a kiss of forgiveness. In one Peter five fourteen, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. This is the kiss of fellowship, the kiss of friendship, the kiss of like a you give to a brother or a sister. And you know, Legia, who I was thinking of when I was studying that was our buddy Mike, Mike O'Grady, who I think greets almost everybody with a kiss. Matthew 26, 49 Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. There was that kiss of betrayal that I mentioned before, Watchman Nee mentioned. And then also Watchman Nee mentioned this one from Luke seven thirty-eight: As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The kiss of worship. So all different kinds of kisses. And married people, you know, there's that kiss of reconciliation or that, that kiss of forgiveness that you give your mate. I think we all know the kiss we give a friend or a brother or a sister. But that kiss of worship for our Savior. That verse continued to say, For your love is better than wine. Let's look at that for a second. Comparing that love to wine. So let's take a look at wine. Wine has limitations before disaster. There's no limitations with Jesus. Eventually the wine will run out. But you and I can partake of God 24-7, 365. You must use wine moderately, but we can drink abundantly from Jesus. Wine has negative effects. There's no negative effects with Jesus. In Psalm 36.8, it says, "...they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures." And in Psalm 1 3 it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's you and me. We take water to quench our thirst or get rid of cotton mouth or dry mouth. But we can partake of God's word all the time, we meditate on his word. We're like those trees in Psalm 1 planted by the streams of living water and we're just soaking up that fresh water into our bodies. We never want to be dehydrated by neglecting God's word. Hopefully you would never go throughout a day without hydrating yourself with water. How much more important it is the water of god's word wine has a cost it's a price must be paid for it you can look at that as just purchasing the wine or you can think about the price that must be paid if it's overindulged in but jesus paid the price and we can drink of him freely There's no cost on our part. The price has already been paid. Verse 3 of chapter 1 Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. It says once again the Lord said to Moses take the finest spices 500 shekels of liquid myrrh half as much of fragrant cinnamon 250 shekels of fragrant cane 500 shekels of cassia all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil prepare from these a holy anointing oil a fragrant blend the work of a perfumer it will be a holy Anointing oil. Use this oil to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand. You are to consecrate them so that they will be most holy. Whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them to serve me as priest, and you are to tell the Israelites, this will be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. It must not be used to anoint an ordinary man, and you must not make anything like it with the same formula. It is holy, and it must be holy to you. Anyone who mixes perfume like it or puts it on a layman shall be cut off, from his people. Wow. Whatever touches them will be holy. Before we apply that to you and to me, the origin of that anointing was from a practice of shepherds. Lice and other insects would often get into the wool of sheep, and they got when they got near the sheep's head, they could burrow into the sheep's ears and kill the sheep. So ancient shepherds poured oil on a sheep's head. This made the wool slippery, make it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ears because the insects would slide off. From this, anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection, and empowerment. Holiness means set apart, to set something apart. Jesus anoints you and I with his Holy Spirit. In Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing. Or the, or the call, his call on that person. A person was anointed for a special purpose, to be a king, to be a prophet, to be a builder. Another meaning for the word anointed is chosen one. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit to spread the good news and free those who have been held captive by sin. After Christ left the earth, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, all Christians are anointed. You and I are anointed by God, by his Holy Spirit. And we are chosen for a specific purpose in furthering God's kingdom. Now, 2 Corinthians says 1 in 121 to 22. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that we see throughout the Old Testament is different from the filling of God's Holy Spirit when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. The outpouring was a unique coming of the Holy Spirit to earth. The filling happens whenever we are surrendered to God's control of our lives. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5:18. In this regard, it is possible for the believer either to be filled with the Spirit or we can quench the Spirit by our behavior, by our decisions. In either case, the Holy Spirit remains in us. God is faithful even though sometimes we are faithless. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. But the filling of the Spirit from the New Testament church on, he stays within the heart of the believer. As we submit more and more to God's will, we will see the Holy Spirit control us more and more. We never want to quench the Spirit. We do that by rebelling against God, by the things that we learn in his word the holy spirit in us there's a there's a tug of war once you receive christ isn't there from what your old life used to be to now your new life in christ it says therefore the virgins love you I want to take this part as the virgins we th- we see in the new testament where the virgins had The ten virgins and half of them had their lamp filled with oil, and half didn't. And when the bridegroom came back, the virgins that had the oil in their lamp were ready. The virgins that had their oil in the lamp were you and I, filled with, anointed by the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for our bridegroom to come back. And I think it's real cool That as we're looking at the Song of Solomon, we want to develop that love relationship deeper with our bridegroom, Jesus, before he comes back and we meet him face to face. We can do that every day, every moment. Develop and nurture that love relationship. Verse four, draw me away. Let me go through the verse and then I'll go back and break it up with a couple of the people that are speaking. It says in verse 4, Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. In any relationship, if we take it on a personal uh, level... When you were courting your mate. Or if you're not married yet and you're in a relationship. When you first started courting that person. It was a a desire in your heart to touch their heart. You wanted to know what they were interested in. What did they like to do? even the very food that they like to eat. And you would try to do those things that they like to do. You were trying to draw them into that deeper relationship with you. Well, notice in verse 4, it says, draw me away. God's Holy Spirit in us is always in a Position is always trying to draw us closer into that relationship with our God The Bible says as we draw near to him he draws near to us But understand that that drawing comes as a result of God's mercy and grace What is the desire of our heart tonight? Is it to become closer to our love Jesus Christ Is it to get tighter to him? Is it get to know him better? That we can smell the fragrance of God in our presence. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. Do we know when he's in our presence? That can happen collectively in a a church service. But boy, is it happening on that one-on-one level with you and your Lord. With you and your lover, Jesus Christ. As we go back in that verse, draw me away. The daughters of Jerusalem answer, we will run after you. And there's a debate on who the daughters of Jerusalem are. But let me throw it at you that it's those brothers and sisters in Christ who have that same love relationship, that have that same Holy Spirit in them, and we are all here on a Wednesday night running after our lover Jesus. Aren't we? Aren't we here for that reason? That we would grow in the grace and the knowledge and the love and the recognition of Christ in our hearts as we come together to build each other up in the body of Christ, to spur each other on to good works, to encourage each other, to laugh with each other, to cry with each other, to pray with each other. That's what God calls us to do. For the Holy Spirit in you is the same Holy Spirit in me. And when we connect, boy, that's amazing. That's a supernatural thing that takes place. And then the Shulamite, the girl, says, the king has brought me into his chambers. You know, we can look at the world and the amount of fornication and adultery that's going on among people, not only Christians, but even those people that aren't saved. Sin is not only happening in the church, but it's happening in the world. And God calls us to a higher calling. He calls us to a place of developing relationships. Just like we're developing a relationship with Jesus, so it is we should be developing that relationship if you're single with that girl or guy that you're being attracted to. But that relationship can only develop if it's founded in Jesus Christ. There's no relationship outside of Christ. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not, it's not ordained by God if God is not at the center of it. And young people, I know sometimes you're, you're fast to run into a relationship when you don't even know the heart of the person that's out there. A good way to find out the heart of the person is to see, well, how's their heart towards Jesus Christ? Their heart should be hard after Christ first before it's hard after you. And married people, as we see this dialogue between the Shulamite woman and, and the king, there's an encouragement, there's a building up, there's, there is nothing negative being said here. Maybe we need to take a check. How are we in our relationship with our mate? Do we look to build them up each and every day? And if not, let's start doing that. Let's do it. The king has brought me into his chambers. You know, that's the bedroom. That's the intimate time. It's a consummation of a relationship. It's not a one-night fling. It's not a five-month thing and then thrown off. And this is where I said at the beginning, i got a problem with Solomon. You know, this is a beautiful song of Solomon. It was the the top-of-the-chart song of those 1,005 songs. It was the number one hit. But something happened in Solomon's heart. Remember, it's a half-heart towards God. And definitely a half-heart if this was the first woman he fell in love with because there was over 700 more after this. That's crazy. But I think it's a warning to you and I that we can be easily pulled away by other lovers. By the world, by the flesh, by the devil, by things that take the place of our first love. Think of the book of Revelation. Return to your first love. Maybe the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon, should be something that is our personal diary between us and the Lord as we spend time with him in our prayer closets or wherever you go for that one-on-one time. The king has brought me into his chambers, an intimate place. And notice the daughters of Jerusalem say, we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than that wine that we looked at in a couple of verses before. And if we look at the daughters of Jerusalem as a church body, we're psyched for you when we see you falling deeper in love with the Lord. When we see you being raised up in the Lord, where we see the Lord's hand on you and we see a transformation of who you were and who you're becoming in the Lord. What an awesome thing that is for people in leadership here at the church to see you. What a privilege that is. And the Shulamite finishes that verse four by saying, rightly, do they love you? Like I we and we're not talking right now so much of a sexual love, but it's that love of God as a unity that we can have an intimate relationship with Lord the Lord, but also relish it when we see everybody coming together to do that through worship, through outreaches, through home groups, whatever way it is. We had a great study with the men this past Saturday. Guys, I know sometimes you have work schedules and stuff, but boy, what a rich time we had in a Q&A just a few days ago and the things that came out of it. Avail- make yourself available to the things of God. Let's pray.